this morning, we'll hear a passage that's probably familiar to many of you. It's the parable of the lost son. Uh, So hear the word of the Lord this morning from Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything there, was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to him, his son, and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields. When he came near the house and heard the music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him, What was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, recently, my wife came up to me showing me a picture on her phone. She was confused because what she saw was a picture of an, of an impoverished neighborhood in a third world country, and someone she knew had posted it saying, this is so cool. This seemed odd to her, and so confused, Marika held up her phone to me and showed me the picture from about eight feet away. She says, can you tell me what's cool about this picture? Seeing it from a distance, I smiled right away and took her phone from her and held it back a distance away for her to see. She got it right away. 
Here is that picture. Can you see? Can you see the face? There are many pictures like this one where there's more than one perspective that can be seen in the photo. In this case, you can see a smiling face in the midst of a third world country. Here's another popular one. What do you see in this picture? Do you see a rabbit or do you see a bird? Which do you see? Let's do one more here. What do you see in this one? Do you see a frog or do you see a horse? Can you see both? Okay, we can switch to the next one so that people... <laughs> okay. Sometimes what we see depends on our perspective. Because Marika was close to the picture, she couldn't see the smiling face hidden in the neighborhood. And sometimes we miss part of the picture, too, because of our perspective. In our story today, if we look close enough, we see a similar phenomenon going on. We see Jesus teaching sinners he's eating with about the Father's love and forgiveness for prodigals of this world, people who have run away from God and who have made mistakes. And if we look closer from another perspective, we can see also Jesus teaching the Pharisees and us church people who think that we're better than others that our value is not in what we do, but in being his children, being his image bearers. And we are to love and accept them and be happy for their return because if we reject sinners, we reject God's grace for them, which is in fact the very way by which we are in God's favor. But if we look again at this passage, Jesus once again is revealing more for us to see. I want to retell this story again, but I want us to pay close attention to the Father in this story, to have empathy for the Father and what it must feel like to be in His position. Empathy is a skill that is crucial for us Christians, and we must learn to grow in it, and it takes time and effort to do this. We must stop and imagine ourselves in the shoes of others. And sometimes when we do this, we can see that we have a lot more in common with them than we might think. And this, in this new perspective, God teaches us and speaks into our life. He can speak a word of comfort and sometimes a word of conviction, perhaps both. So the story starts off by telling us of a man that has two sons, and the younger one says to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. The premise of this story often goes by so quickly in the telling that we can miss the depths of the offense. Imagine for a second that your child or someone that you deeply care about says, I want my inheritance. We get inheritance when someone passes away. And so it's essentially like saying, I wish you were dead. It's basically a quest to completely sever the relationship. Even the greediest people have the decency to wait until their parents pass away or perhaps even kill them before they try to get the money. But here we have a person who is so unaware or so else maybe indifferent to the feelings of his father that he treats him as if he is dead and asks for his inheritance 
while he's still right there in front of him. And then he gathers all his stuff and he abandons his father as his father watches. The depths of this betrayal are hard to fathom. Imagine you had a very close loved one do that to you. Dad or mom, I want my inheritance, half of everything you own. Well, in this case, it's half. But perhaps if you're an only child, it becomes more outrageous, wanting everything they have. But the value of the material is less important. The child is making clear that the value of the father's things, his gifts, are more valuable to him than the relationship the father has. He's saying, I want all that is yours, but I don't want you. How would you respond if you were in the father's position? I don't know about you, but I like to stand up for myself. I like to fight for what I think is right. I'd probably say something like, what are you doing? This is so disrespectful. I won't stand for this. After all I've done for you, how could you do this to me? Perhaps we'd punish them or maybe even throw them out of the family. But the shocking response of the father is this. He divides everything he owns, even his property, and the father gives it to his son. And then he watches his son walk away and squander all his inheritance. The son now has no claim on the father. The relationship like, seems like it should be completely severed. As parents, we can struggle with the fact that our children get to make their own choices. As friends or family, we can struggle with the fact that our loved ones get to make their own choices. I imagine many of us here have family members that have maybe turned away from the faith. And I imagine it weighs heavy on you. I too have family members that have turned away from the faith and it weighs heavy on me. We often think that we know what is best for them and how and when it should happen. And at times, rather than respond like the father in this story, being patient and giving them space to find their path, we push hard to control our children and loved ones and make them do the right thing. To stay in church, to seek God, we can pressure them or guilt them or maybe even shame them, taking jabs at them. We have good intentions. We want to ensure their eternal safety with God, and we can see the travesty that it is that the one that, who gives them all the good gifts, that they're rejecting them. And so we fight desperately to stop them from making this mistake. We're trying to do what we think God would want us to do, to make them love and respect and give thanks to God. But the reality is we can't stop people from doing anything. And more often than not, our efforts to control only cause our loved ones to fight harder to control themselves, to dig in their heels and to speed up their running in the other direction from God. It can often drive a wedge between us and them. Bringing people to God is not our work. 
It's the work of the Holy Spirit, not ours. Yes, we have a part to play in it. This is what we learn in the Great Commission, but we can't force it. Hearts are brought to God on God's timing through His Spirit, and we're called to be loving and patient too, just as we see the Father in this story. And this is hard and takes much wisdom, especially when it's our own children whom we love so much. I pray for all of us for wisdom in this. We see in the Father here a sacrificial love for their children, a willingness to set aside a righteous attitude, and what we would, ex- what we would see as the righteous response, even though he's right. And he does this in order to afford his son the space to find his way back. It really is incredible. It's so hard for us not to fight for what's right when we are right. But that's what we see God do here. He graciously provides space. One thing that becomes clear in this story, and we see in Jesus Christ too, is that he speaks truth into a situation, often patiently, without pride, and bathed in love. But he does not force his will. He does not coerce others. I feel so convicted in this. I broke down sobbing as I reflected on this message. Too often I feel like I try to control my kids and get them to do what I want them to do on my timing, the way I want, not giving them space to figure it out and walk their own path. I just pray, Lord, help me. Help me to do everything I can but to trust you and give... Give them space to find their way to you, Lord. The son is away for some time, and when he returns, the description of his return reminds me of the description of when Jacob and Esau were reunited. For those that may not remember, Jacob stole Esau's blessing from his brother by dressing up like him. It was a terrible, underhanded thing that he did. And because of shame and fear for his life, Jacob fled for years working for his uncle Laban and marrying both Leah and then Rachel. The description of of the father reuniting with the prodigal is very similar to when Esau reunited with Jacob. Word for word, you can see it here. It says, but Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And then in our verse today, it says, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, what's really neat in the story of Esau and Jacob is Jacob's response to Esau's gracious forgiveness. Jacob first offers the gifts, and Esau responds, I already have plenty. Keep what you have for yourself. He didn't accept Jacob's gifts of repentance. Esau's forgiveness is completely gracious. And listen to how Jacob responds. He says, no, please, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept these gifts from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me 
favorably. We see a consistency in God through Scripture, in His forgiveness and grace. As Jacob experienced the gracious reception from Esau, he recognized this as a picture of his God who graciously receives him. And this is why Jacob says, for to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. And this is the same gracious gracious reception that is pictured in this story that Jesus is telling us. And with eyes to see, we too recognize God's gracious reception of us. With Jacob and Esau, I have wondered, how long did it take for Esau to forgive Jacob, given the terrible thing that Jacob did? Was it after seven years, halfway through Jacob's disappearance, around the time he married Leah? Or perhaps he didn't forgive Esau until he approached and started receiving the many gifts. Maybe it worked as Jacob had planned. Maybe the gift softened his heart. Or maybe he forgave him when he finally saw his brother and he felt the rush of emotions and wrapped his arms around his brother, and that's when he forgave Jacob. We don't know when Esau forgave Jacob, but we do know, is what's illustrated in our text this morning, that God forgives us And he forgives the son, not just when he returns, but God is forgiving him as he's graciously sending him away with all his stuff in the midst of his betrayal. And we see this in Jesus Christ, too. Jesus forgave in the midst of his betrayal. Forgive us, Father, for they know not what they are doing. The truth is for us and for our loved ones through Jesus Christ and his willing death on the cross for us, we have been forgiven before we have even abandoned our God and turned our backs on him for the things of this world. And every one of us does that in one way or another. But we can have great assurance that our God loves us and loves our loved ones, those in our family who are walking their own path and maybe living a life apart from God. And he will graciously receive us when our hearts are repentant. This, of course, is not the end of the story. In the story, the father, overcome with joy for his son, returns and calls his servants and tells them to prepare the fattened calf for a feast and celebration of the return of his son, who once was dead but is now alive again. And the older son hears this as he works in the fields, serving his father, and the older brother refuses to go to his father. And so the father goes to him just as he went to the younger brother. And he pleads with the eldest son to join the festivities. And the older son has a temper tantrum. He feels like he's been wronged. He's worked so hard, and his brother's done nothing but squander his property with prostitutes. And he's going to kill a fattened calf for him? Try to imagine the heartache the father experiences. To see the discord between his children and frustration the older brother feels towards the prodigal is the same frustration that the father could have. But he doesn't affirm his son's response. But he also doesn't get angry at the older son. He doesn't 
yell at him or respond harshly. He says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Throughout this text, we see God pictured in a way we might not have noticed before, at least in a way that affects our life. We see God extremely patient, and, and grace extends to the prodigal and also the older son. It extends to us when we are like the prodigal, choosing God's things over God himself. And it extends to us when we are like the older brother who gets angry at grace shown to others. That doesn't seem fair. But beyond this, we can learn a great deal on how to parent. As we see God parent here, sacrificing our need to get things our way or our need to be right. We're called to patiently walk alongside them to be gracious for those who need the extra grace as they walk their own path towards God, even when they're taking the long way. As we see in Christ, we can and must speak truth in this process, but must never try to force our way upon them. Because right relationship with God is centered in love, and we can't force love for God. Sometimes it takes time and our patience. God's grace is also extended towards us when we don't parent like he does, when we fight for ourselves and our rights, when we try to force our way on others. God is gracious to us too. And if we have the humility to apologize, our loved ones just might also forgive us. I have a close friend who hastily married a girl, and years later, after the divorce, he shared with me what his father had said to him after they had been divorced. His father said that one of the most difficult things that he ever had to do was to stand by and let his son make, the mis- make a mistake and marry the wrong person. But he could see that his son was bound and bent to make the mistake that there was no changing his mind. And so he stood beside his son and he went through this terribly difficult period with him and loved him through it. Being patient and letting God take the lead is not easy, especially when we see people going in the wrong direction and possibly even suffering for it. But we can take comfort that our God knows how we feel. He too is being abandoned by so many. He knows the right way for us all, and he's told us and made it clear in his word, but he won't force us to love him and follow his ways. He waits patiently alongside us. He reminds us of their baptism, and he reminds us that the hairs on their head are counted, and he reminds us that as Jesus says in John, he never loses any of them given to him. And in this assurance, we all trust in our God, our good God, and patiently wait for them to return, 
ready to meet them, running towards them on the road to celebrate with a great feast when they return. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, I am so sorry for the ways that I say no to you, but yes to your inheritance, for the ways that I live for myself and twist your gospel. God, I thank you for your grace and patience with me. God, we pray for those around us who we see walk away from you, our loved ones, who we want nothing more than to have the safety of eternity with you, the author of all goodness. Help us, Lord, to feel your grace and have grace for ourselves when we see the ways that we have contributed to pushing others away from you. Father, grow us in your likeness, in patience and love. Give us wisdom, Father, to do this well, to speak your truth in love, in ways that are helpful to keep our mouths and to keep our mouths shut, Lord, when we don't know how to say things well. Help us to be patient and trust your ways, even when they don't make sense to us. May we do all this, Lord, to your praise, honor, and glory. Amen.